0: There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people, Kyle. Oh, where are all my people? Oh, where are my people? Hey everybody, everybody.
1: Welcome, welcome. Yes, it is a Monday, June 12th, 2020, 23. Sorry, check us out. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can also join us live at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. You can help out the show right now by heading over to our YouTube channel. If you're not there already, smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure you leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. Leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. And for more PA progressive talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get some streams. Make sure you subscribe to podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the thericksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at The Night Caucus. That's The Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast at Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by The Beacon's Editor-in-Chief, Cyril Micheleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will will shine a light on the right-wing extremist current streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check them out on the buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for all you gamers out there, the Game In is a Quaker Town-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts when they get A's in their report card, and it's the end of the school year, so get it while it's hot. What can I say? A little graduation gift? I don't know. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at TheGameIn, again with two ends. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at TheGameInPA at gmail.com. And a shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at @songadayman again two N's, songadayman on Twitter. And we can't let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and the oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pact to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. We got some great stuff coming up on Out to Coop Live. Next Monday, June 19th, we got Mark Engler on the show. Mark is a Philly based writer, author, and author of This is an Uprising How Nonviolent Revolt is Shaping the 21st Century, and a member of the editorial board of Dissent. We'll be talking about his. Kind of relatively new article. We were supposed to have him on a couple weeks back. But uh, can movements keep politicians from inevitably selling out? That appeared in dissent, the forge, and in waging nonviolence. Yeah, if you remember, we were supposed to have Mark on the show back in May. But I had to cancel the last minute. It had some family stuff that kind of got complicated very quickly. Um, but luckily, Mark's awesome. and really to reschedule. So next Monday's show will be a pre-recorded show. Just so you know, it will still premiere at 9 p.m. on our YouTube channel and all our podcast platforms. But the reason why you're here tonight, yes, indeed, um, is to welcome Allie Shaw to the show. On this episode of Out to Coop Live, we've got Allie Shaw, Pittsburgh-based research analyst working for the state power mapping program at the grassroots watchdog group Little Sis, you know, that opposite of Big Brother. And we'll be talking about her new report, the American Petroleum Institute Loves Pennsylvania as its lobbying shows in 2022 the api spent at least 1.8 million dollars on lobbying in pennsylvania politicians and that's more than any other state why is big oil going all in on pa well we'll get into the details Allie previously spent eight years as an environmental justice organizer at Pittsburgh United and labor organizer at UFCW, Local 1776. Hi, John. (laughs) Over the years, she led campaigns to prevent the privatization of Pittsburgh water system system, to make drinking water safer and more affordable and organized grocery store workers to win higher wages and safer working conditions during the COVID-19 pandemic. She received her BA in political science from the University of Pittsburgh and her master's in public administration from Carnegie Mellon University. Welcome to the show, Allie.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, I am thrilled that you could come on and that we could talk about this. Once again, I mean, we had you on the show last time to dig into Jeffrey Yass, and now here we are uh, digging into big oil. Um, And uh, I have to say, I had not, again, this is one of these things that's like in the back of my brain sometimes, but realizing how much energy has defined the history and the kind of politics of Pennsylvania. I mean, as you mentioned in this piece, uh, Pennsylvania is in the second largest petroleum producer or uh, natural gas or petroleum product producer, like a fossil fuel producer in the country, which is remarkable. And I'm glad to be talking to you today. I mean, think about, you know, I'm just looking, I was, you know, getting ready for the show today. I'm like, well, just this week, we come out a week of like being like blanketed in smoke from wildfires in Canada. Right. Um, Yesterday, a petroleum tanker kind of basically blew up, caught fire uh, under a bridge at I-95 in Philadelphia, causing the whole bridge to collapse. Right. And then as of today, the this new um, court case kind of um, unprecedented court case kind of uh, by youth, a youth led climate lawsuit in Montana um, started, which is basically challenging the state of Montana, basically saying they violated their own constitution, which guarantees um, the citizens of the state, Um, access to a clean environment. And this is going to be a historic case. that's going to have implications kind of across the board um, for, I mean, I think for the future of our politics. So, um, I mean, it seems to make sense that, okay, let's talk about some of the, you know, the bad actors that are behind the scenes that have been fueling the fossil fueling uh, fossil fuel economy and trying to, you know, divert us from that climate change. So I'm so glad to have you on the show tonight.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm, happy to be here and talk about these important issues, although it's always a little disheartening to talk about all of the bad actors in Pennsylvania. There are so many people organizing, doing good work, and the reason why Pennsylvania is um, not as bad as other fossil fuel producing states like Texas or uh, West Virginia, but um, I think Pennsylvania is a key state because we have so many people organizing against the fossil fuel industry here. Uh, It is a becoming more of a blue state. You have people organizing in Pittsburgh and central PA and Philadelphia. Um, And yeah, I did some research behind the American Petroleum Institute and all the the big money they're spending to drown out those voices um, for environmental justice.
1: Well, I'm so glad to hear you frame it in that way, because it makes sense. This is one of the things I would definitely wanted to talk about tonight, because it seems like there's a lot of folks that are organizing and it makes sense while they're putting so much money in Pennsylvania. It's not because they're just going kind to of like, hey, this is our favorite place. No, but they recognize what's at stake and they can feel the power, um, not kind of moving in their direction, it would seem. But before we get into all the specifics of your piece, let's just kind of back up a little bit and talk about API, the American Petroleum Institute, a little bit of who these folks are and why they're so important to, uh, to be focusing on at this moment.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'll do a little bit of, of background behind why I even found um, them in, in the first place. I don't think a lot of Pennsylvanians think about the American Petroleum Institute as someone as a group that's influencing the state because it's a federal group run by these international companies. So, like, what are they doing in Pennsylvania? So I was um, doing some research for a statewide coalition that's taking on um, Jeffrey Yass, the richest man in the state, pouring millions of dollars into right wing politics here and taking on powerful corporations in the state that are influencing our politicians for their own pro-corporate anti-worker anti-environment agenda and lobbying is not like campaign donations it's not as easy to research especially in Pennsylvania you can't just you know go on a website and you know say who spends the most on, on in this industry or who, you know, spends the most time with these pol- with these politicians lobbying them. It's much less transparent. So it wasn't that easy for me to find. So what I had to do was download all lobbying records from the past year into a giant Excel spreadsheet and try it and sort it out. It was a complete mess. The Pennsylvania database is uh, a really huge mess to try to to grapple with. But what I ended up finding was that um, the American Petroleum Institute was the third biggest spender on lobbying in the state in 2022, which is pretty consistent with where they were in the past five or so years. Um, you wouldn't probably be surprised that healthcare is the number one industry um, and electric utilities are about number two. Um, and API is up there with the electric utilities. So I did some more digging into... Um, the American Petroleum Institute, who's behind them and what they're actually doing with that money in Pennsylvania. And um, can you still hear me? Yeah, 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 I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So I uh, learned that the American Petroleum Institute has been around for decades. It is the trade association of all of the largest oil companies in the world. Um, people or companies you know, like ExxonMobil, British Petroleum. ConocoPhillips, Chevron, Shell, um, Phillips 66. Um, Currently it's being led by board chair, um, Mike Wirth, who's the CEO of Chevron. All these companies kind of rotate um, leading the the group, even though it's run by these massive oil companies because they give the most money and sit on the board. It represents over 600 oil companies, um, refineries, plastic manufacturers, lots of companies in the oil business. It's uh, been referred to as the whipping boy of big oil by some uh, executives at like Exxon Mobil who were caught on tape saying that they use these trade institutions or trade associations um, to basically do their dirty work uh, that these oil companies don't want to do. Exxon and Shell want to paint themselves as actually pro-environmental in- pro justice. You know, you see all these ads with... Uh, BP and Exxon saying, we're actually solving climate change. Um, and they get to greenwash themselves and paint that picture of themselves, while also donating millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars to this group, the American Petroleum Institute, and send, send that group out to lobby um, on their behalf in, in terms of not taxing oil companies, uh, removing any regulation that might be imposed on oil companies, um, allowing them to build more infrastructure in the United States and abroad. So this is stuff that these companies don't really want on their hands. So they get to pass it off to this group that no one really knows about. Um, And they don't only lobby in the federal government and they spend millions of dollars every year, $4.4 million last year lobbying the federal government. Um, they also have become more active in state governments because they, I think, have rightly uh, learned that that is where a lot of the policies that are impacting them happen. You know, approval of projects, uh, local regulations. Um, so in Pennsylvania, they uh, spent about $1.8 million last year. For context, the largest spender, which was the Blue Cross, uh, Independence Blue Cross, uh, an insurer out of Philadelphia, spent about $3 million. Um, which is by far the largest. And uh, it um, is really goes back to um, API's history. Uh, this is the group that came up with the plan um, back you know, several decades ago to basically intentionally spread misinformation about climate change to the American people. They, they knew about climate change and had that data and information back all the way in 1958 and met and actually decided we're going to purposely hide this information that we have and lie to the american people because we think the idea of people, you know, being affected by climate change is going to hurt our profits and that's what they did.
1: Yeah, and I re- you know I we started getting some traction on these kind of tactics with the whole kind of Exxon New campaign, um, when kind of a whole bunch of documents that came out say Exxon knew this stuff, their own scientists knew out, we saw some reporting on that, and which is fantastic that we get to see this and we get to track it next to what happened with tobacco and seeing the same tactics, not only the same tactics, but the same people being employed to execute the same strategy of kind of disinformation and so on. What's API I think, which is why I thought your article was so important is because like, as you've already said is API, nobody knows what the hell API is, right? And so it remains, even if Exxon gets flagged, right? Or, you know, BP gets flagged, um, these groups continue on to doing their work. And, you know, these industries can say, well, look, that's API, that's our lobbying arm that we're not doing that as Exxon, you know? And I think about this every single time I'll, I'll go to, you know, fill up gas in my car and I see like, Hey, for every gallon, you think we plant a tree and all of this, I'm like, this is so insidious. Um, But it is, you know, it does allow for them to continue reaping in the profits, profits while they're undermining that kind of, you know, the public sentiment that is needed to, you know, really dramatically shift our economies um, to save our freaking planet. It would seem.
0: Right. Yeah. It gives them cover. I mean they can say API can say well we represent 600 different companies with lots of different interests but really it is these handful of giant oil companies driving their agenda on a federal level and even probably more so in in states um and I just want to give you a summary of the profits that some of these oil companies brought in just last year so you can see how small of a, of a drop in the bucket, this uh, 1.8 million is, even though it's a lot for, for Pennsylvania compared to other companies. So Exxon brought in nearly 56 billion in one year. Shell was 40 billion Chevron 35.5 billion and marathon oil, 16.4 billion. So these are companies that make hundreds of millions of dollars a day.
1: This is like, just like literally pocket change. Right for them, dropping this kind of money—I mean, which again has a huge disproportionate impact in our politics, right? Um, But for them, it's nothing. They don't even miss it. It's like stuff you know, change they found in the couch cushions after their big parties. It would seem, you know, it's like that level of stuff.
0: Right, and it allows them to continue their legacy of disinformation, really. Um, In Pennsylvania, it's a little bit unique. It doesn't operate like typical trade associations or even. Um, other corporations in Pennsylvania in terms of lobbying or campaign donations. API doesn't give any anything in campaign donations. Some of these big oil companies do, for sure, um, to state legislators, congresspeople, the governor. Um, but API only focuses on lobbying, which includes their two primary lobbyists um, actually going and meeting with legislators, hosting events, things like that. But it also includes them... Um, being the go-to people to testify on behalf of the oil, oil and gas industry uh, whenever the state legislature holds a hearing about energy or new taxes or the environment. Um, they write op-eds consistently in uh, major papers all over the state and local papers. They buy TV ads and create TV ads, social media ads, um, and they also you know, do their version of organizing, which is getting their members in the state Um, to send letters or get their employees to mobilize in favor or against policies that they want. Um, So it's not even just about their influence on state legislators. They're trying to create a culture of a state that is pro oil and gas. And they drive that narrative home every chance they get. And that's what I mean by they want to drown out the voices of everyday people that are saying, you know, we just want clean air and clean water, but they're being, Um, drowned out by this artificial voice just because it's backed by millions of dollars um, saying well no it's actually about jobs and it's about bringing you know money to your economy and we know that that's uh, a lot of false promises um i i want to mention the the shell cracker plant and beaver yeah, this is a great example.
1: I mean, this is I, I mean, this is one of the one of the examples I wanted to give out uh, uh, kind of the focus in on is because this was this is astounding in terms of what we're talking about, about the impact of this kind of lobbying, as you said, to kind of create a culture around this. Um, and never mind the amount of money that the you know, shell, like shell itself is pumping into the system, literally. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Talk, let's talk about that. And I also then want to talk about um, some of the front groups and some of these histories of the lobbying efforts that they've done. What I also found fascinating your piece about was uh, what they did in terms of resisting the nuclear industry. Like that was just like, that came out of here, but let's go back to the shell. Fl- I mean, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> around. yeah, bring us back to shell and Beaver County.
0: Yeah. And that, yeah, it was interesting. The, the nuclear energy conflict, but um First, I, I mean, I just told you Shell brought in uh, four hundred or forty billion dollars last year. Um, so, in that context, it makes no sense um, policy-wise that the state of Pennsylvania gave them a one point six five billion dollar tax credit to create the Shell uh, Cracker plant in Beaver County and Potter Township. Um, it was just recently opened. I remember. Uh, I know people that work for the trade unions that went to work on it. It was one of the biggest infrastructure projects in the country, um, and it very quickly became one of the largest polluters in the state. Um, So a a cracker plant is basically, it's called the petrochemical industry. Um, It produces these pellets that are then used to make um, plastic and other chemical products and another wonderful thing for our environment just putting it out there (laughs) you can imagine it doesn't produce a lot of healthy things yes Um, uh, so it during that process releases toxic chemicals into the air um, that cause things like cancer asthma um, other diseases that people in the area in beaver county are breathing in whenever shell uh, goes above their you know, allowed uh, amount of pollution, which is also, you know, they shouldn't be allowed to pollute at all, but they even exceed the state regulations frequently. They were recently fined $10 million to um, make up for the fact that they uh, exceeded their uh, allowable limits several times. Uh, And $10 million is, is, you know, again, a drop in the bucket compared to the amount that Shell makes. So they, they factor that into their cost. but the Breathe project had a really great stat that I loved uh, that was, we spent $2.7 million per job on that project. So if you're saying it was because it was for jobs, think about all the other projects that we could have invested in to bring jobs to the state. Pennsylvania ranks 45th in renewable energy production. We could be investing in solar, wind technology, but instead we gave you know, a company that makes hundreds of millions of dollars a day we gave them 1.65 billion dollars to bring this project here and you can see why then these companies spend this little amount of money on lobbying because they get such a massive return on investment
1: yeah and then on top to add insult to injury they get a 15 year tax holiday afterwards where they don't even need to pay taxes so I mean, all the stuff, all the damage that they're causing, they're not even contributing to like you know, the state government, which is ultimately is where things are gonna are. It's gonna fall, right? It's gonna fall on the state government in order to clean up what's happening there to deal with the kind of the. Um, uh, you know, the impact on people's health. I mean, we had, I think I, you know, I sent this to you an email too. We had Christina Marusic on the show um, kind of a couple of weeks back talking about her new book, A New War on Cancer. And she's done this reporting about the, what the, you know, how these chemicals um, from the kind of fossil fuel industry are showing up in people's bodies. And now you've got this, like you said, this massive uh, kind of in- infrastructure investment by this company that's producing more of these like contaminants that's able to pollute at will pretty much because it could just kind of like oh let's go check the other couch cushion in the other room or in one of our other houses where we can kind of go pull that out in order to make this go away we'll pay the fine and we'll go on there and meanwhile people are paying the price
0: right and you're right they don't they have this uh tax-free 15 years where they're not even bringing money into the municipalities or counties that they're in so the the economic, you know, benefit of a few jobs that um, mostly are are gone now after the construction phase is over, um, pales in comparison to the the detriment on people's public health on public health in that area. Um, it's really sad.
1: Yeah, I most want that statistic that you know said was it was two point four million dollars per job. Is that what you said? It's like you know,
0: that's 2. like 2. almost. 7. I'm sorry. What? Two point seven million 2. per 7. job.
1: millions per job. It's almost the kind of things you want people to have on placards, right? For like public meetings when, you know, their towns basically say, look, we have no money. It was like, this is how much we paid like shell in order to produce one job, right? You're telling me that we can't get books in our schools. You're telling me that our roads have to keep all the potholes there or we have to tear up the asphalt and throw down kind of like, you know, oil and pebbles down, right? Um, Because we can't afford that. But meanwhile, this company gets tax free for 15 years while it wrecks our health. That's pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, and like you said in here, I mean, this goes back. I mean, Pennsylvania has this long history um, with fossil fuels, and it seems like there's just a lesson that is not getting learned uh, by state government. And that's in just part of the kind of money that seems to be flooding our politics. And it's not just Republicans. And we see Democrats are also kind of shilling for uh, the fossil fuel industry, too, as well. I've, uh, remember, I remember, I forget the guy's name, but you know the democrats who are out there kind of in southwest pa they're you know and I, I could understand it to a certain degree they're caught between uh what they perceive as a rock and a hard place right um, for me it, you know whatever i mean the hard place is our climate future right so i mean you have to make a hard choice to say no to fossil fuels okay i get it for your your thing but but anyways i mean it just does seem like that they're they're running away. And that, you know, you mentioned also in the article that, you know, um, we even saw, you know, Governor Shapiro, right? And even his own, his transition team had some of these key people that were on there. And you talk about this as part of this revolving door of the fossil fuel industry. Um, Could you get into that just a little bit?
0: Yeah, so one thing that we always do when we find these trade associations that are spending this amount of money on lobbying or um, front groups that are spending this amount of money on lobbying is we want to know Who those lobbyists actually are and a lot of times you'll find that those are people that worked in government roles for sometimes decades in the past so they are being paid just for their relationships in the in the state government and um, the revolving door is called a revolving door for a reason because those people go in and out of government and then get paid millions of dollars for their lobbying so Um, At the American Petroleum Institute and their Pennsylvania chapter, they have uh, two lobbyists, uh, Stephanie Wisman, who used to be uh, with the Pennsylvania Chamber of Commerce, has been the executive director of API Pennsylvania for a while now, and was actually appointed to Governor Shapiro's transition team on the Energy Committee, um, along with uh, coal lobbyists from CNX, um, a representative from the Commonwealth Energy Group. Uh, a representative from the American Gas Association, from Robindale Energy, which is another coal company, and uh, a former director at Exelon, another uh, giant electric utility. So uh, Shapiro really wanted the voice of fossil fuels on his transition team, which just speaks volumes to um, his priorities. Uh, Of course, he had some environmental advocates, but Um, I mean, this is the exact case where those voices of people with lots of money and lots of power from these corporations do drown out those other voices. And we saw the ramifications of that. Um, Shapiro appointed a former Exelon executive, again, a giant, one of the largest utility companies in the country that relies on fossil fuels. He appointed one of their former executives to be secretary of the Department of Environmental Protection. Um, And, you know, who knows if the American Petroleum Institute uh, played a a large role in that. But I think just the fact that all of these representatives from the fossil fuel industry were on that team, it does uh, make you wonder how much of an influence they had over that over that pick.
1: Well, and like you said too, is like the well, API's like primary role here too is to kind of create that culture, <laughs> right? So like, you're flooding it in the background, so it makes sense to everybody. Like, oh, it doesn't seem unusual that you would appoint like a head of a fossil fuel company to, <laughs> or an electricity company, onto uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, right? So it just seems like, oh, okay, this is just both um winning the day once again,
0: right? And that even, that doesn't even include the associate director, the other lobbyist in Pennsylvania for API was the executive director of the Pennsylvania State House Energy Committee for over ten years, so he knows exactly how the energy committee in the state legislature works and probably still has you know relationships with the leaders of both parties. He served under the under the Wolf administration um, and imagine how valuable he is to the big oil companies who can use his relationships and his probably goodwill among the energy committee in both the house and the senate that's untold influence that you know environmental groups just don't have
1: yeah it's also you know if anybody pays close attention to the way that kind of you know laws get made and so on is that all the back and forth and, and kind of making the laws, you know that there's there's little loopholes there, there's little gaps in the law, there's there's things that the legislators themselves know that, okay, this thing could be exploited or this thing could be, but they just don't talk about it because it's, you know, the nitty gritty of the legislation. But you take a guy like that who was instrumental in writing some of these laws, going to work for those industries, he can just basically say, okay, you know what you need to do? There's this part of the law that those people don't know about and here's what you do, blah, 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 blah. Right. And so it allows them to exploit these little loopholes that, you know, most of us never even know um, that are going on. And meanwhile, we're getting sicker and that, you know, the climate emergency is approaching that much more quickly if it's not here already. I mean, we haven't seen this week as we've talked about.
0: Right. And they're in the same social circles. I mean, these are people getting invited to all the, the swanky political parties yeah. in Harrisburg. And, you know, they have these relationships that uh, they don't want to cross someone who they used to work with for for a decade. Um, Or if someone from, you know, API who's worked there for 10 years calls a pivotal senator or or House of Representatives member, and says, you know, we need you to vote against this, it's going to be hard for people to to ignore that whenever they have that close relationship. um, And that kind of money is being spent.
1: It's just so crazy. The other thing you also mentioned here is that, you know, what the API has also done in the past is has um, kind of funded front groups, right, that get out there. And so it's like, this is like two steps then removed from the industry itself. We get these, you know, innocuous sounding or say pro-democracy or citizens, you know, uh, pro-citizen kind of organizations, but they're out there just doing the dirty work of the fossil fuel industries. Can you talk a little bit about that too as well?
0: Yeah, Yeah, it is fascinating that they come up with these degrees of separation to get it off of their hands. So the American Petroleum Institute, and sometimes in partnership with other right wing groups or the Chamber of Commerce, um, sets up and funds these front groups that if you, like you said, go on their website, you might think, hey, this seems good. You know, they are talking about jobs. Um, One of the groups that API funds is called Citizens to Protect Pennsylvania Jobs. Sounds great. (laughs) Who's against that, right? I mean. (laughs) Um, The other one was citizens against nuclear bailouts. Uh, Again, good messaging, no one likes bailouts. Uh, That's a term that's very loaded in American politics. And then another one was stop new energy taxes. Um, So let's take citizens against nuclear bailouts first, because this was uh, a couple years ago, a vehicle that these companies, put a lot of money into both um, these big oil companies and natural gas companies um, with interest in um, protecting fracking in Pennsylvania. So the nuclear industry was in trouble. Um, The nuclear industry is, you know, not what I would call a renewable energy source that's kind of debated in the environmental world, but um, a lot of utilities still rely on it. And uh, there was talk of trying to provide them subsidies to help bail them out of this uh, hard time. And the nuclear energy industry oftentimes is in competition with oil and gas um, because it's different energy sources, different companies. So in lots of states, the oil and gas industry took advantage of the situation, and started these front groups uh, opposing any sort of bailout for the nuclear industry nuclear energy industry, even though these oil and gas companies themselves are getting lots and lots of subsidies, as we just talked about, they're against subsidies for any other industry that might be in competition with them. So they spent millions of dollars, not only through this front group, but through API and individually as, you know, separate companies, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on lobbying. And in Pennsylvania, they were successful in stopping any subsidies from going to the, the nuclear industry. Um, that ended up not being the final nail in the coffin. They eventually recovered um, after years, but that's just an example of the kind of power that these front groups can have. Um, And you did have to do some digging to find out who was behind that front group. There were only a handful of articles and a lot of them were after the fact, after these campaigns were actually happening. Uh, So they do, do an effective job of kind of tricking the media and making it seem like this is some sort of grassroots movement even though it's funded directly by these big oil and gas companies,
1: yeah, it's remarkable. And as we see the kind of like you know this continued downsizing of our of our media, um, this becomes even more difficult. I mean, we see right now you know we have Gannett workers that have been on strike, you know are kind of threatening to have even larger strikes now. We see um, newsrooms um, getting smaller and smaller. And organizations like here, you know, organizations like Little Sis are kind of, say, filling these gaps. Um, but meanwhile, um, you know, the media becomes dominated by, you know, those folks who have got a ton of money um, to get their messaging out there. And uh, reporters, you know, again, I don't want to always fault journalists for it because, I mean, I, I, look, I, you, know, you know, you talk to anybody, any journalist who's out there who's actually a good journalist you simply cannot pay attention to everything, uh, like everything at once. Um, And especially when you got new organizations and front groups seem to be emerging like every other year uh, with great sounding names, Um, just doing that kind of work of digging into, like you said, digging in to find out who the hell is this now? (laughs) Right? Who is this organization? Uh, It's pretty remarkable.
0: Right. And sometimes they, they do a good job of not even having to report until a year or two years later. Uh, Because these giant companies can get around um, being held accountable to report their donations to front groups, for example. Um, But another example I wanted to mention, and this is probably something people in Pennsylvania have seen in headlines every budget season, is like, when are we going to start taxing the natural gas industry? Um, Pennsylvania is the only major oil and gas producing state to not have a severance tax on natural gas. And you hear... You know, Governor Wolf proposed it a couple times. Um, I think Shapiro has has talked about it. I don't I don't remember if it's in, in his budget currently. Um, but it's just always this thing in in the uh, Pennsylvania politics that people propose, but it, it never actually happens. And that is partially because groups like this front group, Citizens to Protect Pennsylvania Jobs, and others um, like the Marcella Shale Coalition vehemently oppose any new taxes on the natural gas industry. Um, And it benefits the oil industry, too, because they don't want taxes on their their projects either. Um, So they've done a very effective job at using these front groups to, again, make it seem like it's a grassroots effort, make it seem like it's a broad coalition when really it's just a handful of companies um, spending millions of dollars on lobbying so they can save hundreds of millions or billions of dollars on taxes. Uh, And we keep seeing these politicians, you know, give in to that culture of um, pretending like uh, it's helping the state to not tax these companies. They can't go anywhere else. The the natural gas is here. What they want is here. And they keep escaping these new taxes through these front groups and through these lobbying efforts.
1: That's remarkable. I can even remember back uh, how effective the lobbying efforts have been and um, building that culture. I remember when uh, the Marcella shell boom was just getting, getting rolling. And uh, there was some kind of reporting, again, as you said, reporting that comes up after the fact, right? Um, there, I think was some folks from the smog blog, I believe, were kind of digging some of this stuff up What I was talking to at the time where like, yeah, after the fact, there was people in the industry, even at that time, which they were ready to pay right? They were ready to pay the severance tax at the beginning because they just factored it into there, but they realized that the lobbying efforts and the moves that they had made among politicians were so effective that they were surprised that they were going to get into Pennsylvania and exploit the natural gas here and put all these fracking chemicals in the ground and now I have to pay a dime. It was remarkable.
0: It It puts the state in a very defensive and vulnerable situation when we're saying, That the state isn't powerful enough to take on these industries and actually make them pay their fair share we just cower to whoever the highest bidder is um and i think that's why it's important to to call out these front groups and you know these trade associations if you're an organizer to say you know this isn't some sort of grassroots movement this is a handful of companies the people of pennsylvania do want this tax money to fund things like uh, renewable energy projects, uh, public schools, um, a, a fair uh, system to protect people that are unemployed, affordable housing. Um, you know, we're trying to come up with money to fund whole home repair right now. I mm-hmm. uh, think of all the things that we could actually fund with that tax money. And yet we're listening to these front groups that, you know, have a couple of, of corporate backers and well-paid lobbyists. Uh, it's, it shouldn't, um, be as easy for politicians to get away with this.
1: 100%. I was just thinking about, it. I was so encouraged to see Elizabeth Fiedler and others had proposed this thing about solar in the schools. Basically what I've been saying for for years, like you've got all these schools with big flat roofs that are suns beating down on them all day long. It would make sense to do this. Um, but again, you know, you could just imagine, oh, well, if we tax that industry, we're just going to take all that tax money. We're going to put it into this program so we can get rid of these people here. Um, and it's right. always remarkable to me too as well because he's like, Pennsylvania, the, the, the politicians have been so cowed where they're, you know, you're looking at this and you're like, wait, they want the gas that's here. So it's, there's no place for them to go. Right. It's not, they could say, well, we're just not going to come. Well, okay. Then you don't get the gas. And then they're, then, you know, it's like they don't even use their own power, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, But like you said, about so important to um to talk about who these front groups are and 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 so on. And this is why I'm I'm so I love the work that, that Little Sis is doing. And I'm sorry I, at the beginning of the show I wanted people to talk a little bit about the work that Little Sis does. I want to make sure we plug it. That um you know do check out everything that's happening over there. You can go to LittleSys.org. You want to look at there's a great kind of say you know online. I don't know if you call it it's like a, the news kind of version of that where it says it's at news.littlesis.org. We can see all the reporting, the news and analysis there. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about like why this organization kind of needs to exist right now and some of the kind of work that you're doing um, and other other things that you're um, paying attention to at the moment?
0: Definitely. Um, Like you said at the beginning, Little Sis is the opposite of Big Brother. So we are a watchdog that looks up at corporations and monitors corporations and billionaires that have influence over our uh, elected officials and government we do uh, three things. Uh, One, we do produce our own research, whether that's on the news uh, portion, we have a blog called Eyes on the Ties, you can uh, find it at the news.littlesys.org. We also produce our own independent research for campaigns um, that are taking on uh, big oil and gas companies, natural gas companies, uh, healthcare insurers, Um, running active campaigns that need on-the-ground research to benefit their campaign. We also provide a training, research training for activists and organizers that want to learn how they can do this for themselves, how they can research a corporation, research campaign finance, lobbying, things like that. Uh, If you subscribe to our newsletter, follow our website, you can look out for whatever our trainings are. We try to do them once a month. And we also provide an online tool that organizers and researchers can use to track, uh, we call it the involuntary Facebook of the 1%. So billionaires, wealthy CEOs, um, we keep information about them and their connections, their board ties, uh, political donations, family members, everything like that. Uh, It's open source, so anyone can add anything. You just need to create an account um, and fact check, provide sources, of course. Um, But it's all really to benefit uh, the movement and groups that are working for social, environmental, economic justice. Uh, Because research is important, you have to know what you're up against, you have to know um, what you're fighting for, and you have to know where your sources of leverage are. Um, So if you know, the front groups and the trade associations, and the corporations behind them, you can start to actually go after the real bad actors in your state. And it only takes a little bit of research. 100%.
1: 100%. And I think, and like you said, some of the tools that are on uh, on the website are just fantastic. I mean, you can you get your, I mean, you know, dig in right away, um, access to tons of fantastic information. I can't say enough about, you know, um, the research that has come out of Little Sis, the work that you're doing and others at Little Sis have been doing. Um, I've been kind of like slowly flagging some other folks like as part of it are producing other things to try to put as much of a spotlight as we, we can in our little space here, <laughs> this media space on the work that you're doing um, for exactly those reasons. I mean, we're seeing this in Bucks County to, to, sh- to shift gears just a, just a, t- just a minute, but like, it's the same principle with everything that's been happening in the school board races here in Bucks County and across the Commonwealth. Right. It's the same process. Right. And this is when we had you on before talking about Jeffrey. Yes, yeah, it's like these people work from the same playbook right? You know, it's a very similar dynamic, but getting to the point where you can to see, understand how to track this and how to do the research, that's the tricky part. And organizations like Little Sis really are kind of the, are the, the tools of the movement, if you will.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And if I could uh, give a shout out to some of the groups working on the Shell cracker plant, yes, please. Um, air pollution there. Um, I used a lot of information from Eyes on Shell um, which is a coalition fighting the shell cracker plant and currently um, have a lawsuit against them. Um, the Breathe project is one uh, organization within that coalition that also does great research and work on the on the shell cracker plant. Um, the Center for Coal Field Justice in Washington County um, does a lot of work to go after the coal and natural gas industry in, in Washington County and hold them accountable. Um, the Clean Air Council has done a lot of work on air quality in Pennsylvania um and the ohio valley river institute has been doing really great research kind of breaking down the jobs figures and saying no actually these industries have not been good economically for this region um so all these groups have been doing great work pushing back against this cultural narrative that the industry has been pushing um so if you have time go check out their website support them and the work they're currently doing to fight fight this industry 100%
1: and I'll make sure that uh, kind of after when we get the full show notes up that I'll put links to all those organizations that you mentioned there. Um, Because Mm -hmm. there is fantastic work because it like brings us back to right where you started us tonight is to say the reason why the API, you know, and this is like, I guess the flip side, this is the positive side uh, that we can glean from, um, from your reporting and what you found here is that the only reason the API is dumping so much money into Pennsylvania is because the pushback is getting to the point where they realize they have to because they're losing the battle.
0: Exactly. We need to keep up the fight, drown out their voices, make sure, you know, that I I don't mind them spending money, but we need to make sure we're louder than they are.
1: One hundred percent. Well, Allie, I appreciate you so much coming on for the sh- uh, coming on to the show tonight. Um, like as always, uh, your reporting is fantastic. The work you're doing on Little Sis is great. Um, make sure in tonight's show notes you'll find links to Allie's article. Uh, the American Petroleum Institute loves Pennsylvania and its lobbying um, shows. Be a link there. Make sure you check out Little Sis at on um, The Eyes and the Ties News and Analysis that blog at news.littlesis.org, and you can follow Allie on Twitter at Allie, A-L-Y-M-S-77, um, for all the kind of updates. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and thanks so much for your work.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for covering this.
1: All right, everybody. Uh, thank you all for tuning out tonight, um, and just more, you know, tools and food and fuel for the movement going on here. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Um, this Friday, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of updates on the school boards because uh, it has been an absolute show show happening here in Bucks County so we'll make sure that uh, we'll be talking a bunch of that on Friday and next Monday remember that we'll have uh, Mark Engler here um, talking a little bit about some kind of inside outside movement building strategies here so this is Kevin Mahoney creator and founder of Raging Chicken want to thank you all for tuning out or tuning in don't tune out tuning in tonight Um, spending a little time with us keep up the fight keep up the struggle have a great week all
0: see ya people.